Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Now where it is now, everybody wants a piece of the market. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny! I don't remember asking you a thing. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? With all due respect, what the f*** are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's wrong. You represent the idiocy of today. I did not know that. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Are you listening to me? That's my shit together, is my shit together. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. So that's that's it then. No one else really knows anything. Well, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. Time to my moment. Ed Burn of the board. SP Futures down one. As a futures down 27. This is after we kind of fell apart Friday afternoon a little bit. Do we have the Professor Lou? Well, all right, buddy. Sorry we're a little late. It's that wonderful traffic. Are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Lo- loud and clear. What, uh, all kinds of stuff going on in the world, bud. We didn't get a chance to touch on it last, uh, Thursday. Our, our buddy, uh, Greg, uh, was working his his tail off all weekend at a Greek fest, and uh, he was showing. I'll bet, that, I'll bet that was fun. You know what? Uh, they had nice weather and everything, but he, those guys, they really do it up. He was showing me the, I don't know how many fifty pound sacks of rice they had, and twenty or forty different huge trays of musica and other domais. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. There was one on South Side a couple of weeks ago, and then there was this one on North Side, and there was another one in the Burbs. I mean, every big Greek church has like a three-day festival, and they're they're serious yeah. about it. Wow, I've been uh, I've I've been to a couple of those when I was in Chicago. We don't we don't have quite the uh, the Greek uh, Greek presence here in uh, Denver. Although there is a Greek Orthodox church not too, about a mile from uh, from where I live, and uh, every now and then you'll they'll roll something out, but it. It's nothing like what you see in well. It's nothing like what you see in Chicago. You know, it, it's it's not nearly the same kind of impact. So, super. It's uh, it's so funny because collectively the group is so tight. I mean, they really are. They stick together and they're great people. God, when you get a ball in one room, all they do is argue. <laughs> it's like they're like the Italians, like my Italian <laughs> relatives, for God's sake. Medi- but, Mediterranean culture. But then they all come back next week because they love everybody. <laughs> it's like, it's like That's the right. weirdest thing. But you know what? It's I, kind I, of fun. Yeah. Where do you want to start, Lou? You want to start with cluster Let's bombs, with, drones? Yeah. Let's start with cluster bombs. Yeah, what did, why, did the cluster bomb guy go to Joe, Joe Biden and said everybody's making money off this except us, or what? So I think a couple of things are happening. Um, the irony, of course, is that Biden himself, a couple, uh, couple of years ago, or uh, I think maybe a year back, said something to the effect that you know cluster munitions and the use of cluster munitions is immoral and you know illegal and all that so just just to set the the stage there is an international treaty signed by a number of countries uh, that say that the cluster use of cluster munitions in in combat is illegal the the concern is that the cluster munitions uh, have a which consist of little bomblets like like miniature hand grenades uh, or or miniature NA tank weapons, NA tank rounds. Um, you know, maybe you know between fifteen and eighty of these things contained in a in a bomb casing. 
they're fired in some cases out of 155 millimeter artillery shells, and I think that's what we're we're sending to uh, to Ukraine. But when they scatter, they go over a, a, a fairly wide area. The ones dropped by by aircraft, uh, ours anyway, will cover an area roughly the size of a football field or so. Aren't they like and, really used a lot for uh, for like if you if you want to drop uh, something on like an airfield, you can really screw up the runway or something? Yeah, I, I mean they're 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 perfect against widely dispersed soft targets like aircraft scattered along an airfield or or people, you know, in a in an open area. Uh, they're not particularly effective against trenches. They're not particularly good at detonating mines. But the reason people object to them is because there's a failure rate uh, in these munitions. In the United States, with the U.S. stuff, it's the failure rate somewhere between 1% and 3%. With Russian cluster munitions, and the Russians use them, the failure rate's much higher, somewhere near like 30 or 40%. Um, and these unexploded things sit around, and I mean, they're they're like little minefields. So they 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 will detonate if you if you handle them, and so they they leave these things are scattered, and you know, kids come along and civilians come along and pick them up, and and so a number of countries have banned their use. We have not, and the Russians have not. Um, cluster munitions are highly effective. Did, uh, did Ukraine sign targets. that? Yeah, I heard like two two pieces of that yesterday. Did Ukraine sign that? Um, I don't know. I I don't think so. But but one more report reason, said they did. One report said they didn't. So I couldn't. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not. I have not seen a report that said that Ukraine was a signatory. And and I mean, the it, weapons are highly effective for what they're designed. They're designed to do. But but here's the here's the kicker. So we the president and and, and I'm one of the things that I noted in 2020 was that, that Joe Biden has has been terrible on foreign policy. You know, if you if you want if you want to know what you should do in a foreign policy issue. Um, generally, historically, you just ask, just ask Joe Biden, and then do the opposite of what he says, and and so you know he he poisons the well by making a unilateral statement, or his aides make a unilateral statement and give it to him to read about these about these weapons. Um, uh, we have a now, question here, Rob. Uh, is there these things talked about in the Geneva Convention already? Weren't weren't invented? Oh no. No, they, they, you didn't see. You didn't start seeing cluster munitions coming on the scene until widely used until uh, sometime in the '60s. Okay, they are not. They are not a a category of weapon that is widely forbidden by, for example, the Hague Convention, which talks about certain types of weapons on a broad scope that are that are forbidden. Cluster weapons are not disproportionate. They they do not. They're not intended to cause unnecessary suffering and in fact there's a wide variety of cluster munitions you have you have cluster munitions that, that are contained in the, like these artillery shells that are that are uh, basically little hand grenades that are designed to get to, to you know work against soft targets they're almost they're almost like a, a fireworks it goes up in the air and they all just blow yes, up individually that's a that's a good analogy so you have those kinds of cluster munitions there are other kinds of cluster munitions like like uh, the sensor-fused weapon, which I've talked about on on the show before, which which is an aerial-delivered bomb that contains, you know, maybe 20 or 30 separate brilliant anti-tank weapons. And, and when this thing breaks apart in midair, rather than just scattering over a wide area and detonating randomly, these things come out of the come out of the bomblet, and they they have little sensors on them, and they look down and they fly to where they see a tank. Or a truck, or an APV, and and or APC, and they fly overhead and detonate and, and destroy the vehicle. 
and they're they're horrifically effective. Um, very complex weapon system. We used them in Iraq uh, against against massed uh, massed armor, and and they're devastating. So so there's a there's a variety of these things. But the bottom line really is that you would you would question why somebody would ever want it to be used on their soil because ten years from now some kid's going to be hacking around his backyard it's, and one's going to blow up. It it's a measure of desperation. But let me tell you where I think this goes. I don't think the Ukrainians are going to be firing very many 155 millimeter howitzer shells with cluster munitions in them. I think what they're going to do, and I think this is what probably what really bothers the Russians, the a number of the the um, artillery shells that we have, the, the DPICM, that's the acronym for them, dual purpose munition, um, contain anti tank rounds and little anti tank mines. So, so these things scatter out and, if, and and they disperse, and they fall, you know, they fall down on top of armor or, or a vehicle, and if they hit it, they punch a hole through it and and kill everybody inside. Um, what the what I think the Ukrainians are going to do is likely disassemble these munitions, because if you fire one of these rounds at a tank, you scatter maybe twenty or thirty of these anti tank rounds or in a, over a wide area. And you hope that one of them hits the tank, but the Ukrainians have a much more effective and selective way of delivering these submunitions, and that's drones. They can take a three hundred or four hundred dollar drone, put one of these things on it, and fly it right over the tank and drop it on it. And one of these things will destroy a tank. They hit it on the top. They they've got enough enough power in the shape charge to burn through, you know, I don't know whatever it is, eight or nine centimeters of armor. Which, which is more than enough on the top of, a, of an armored vehicle. And so the Ukrainians, I think it's quite likely, are going to disassemble a lot of these things and use these submunitions for individual attacks on APCs and, and, and tanks. So you're not going to see the kind of scatterable kind of explosive issue that so, you So you, that can you, take them, you can take them apart and use the individual pieces? Yes, you can. Really? Oh yeah, you, you just break the shell. You just break open the casing, and and you know they're the, the bomb. These little bomblets are not designed to detonate until they make contact with with the target, and so and so you can take the shell apart. You disassemble the shell, cut it open, and they take these bomblets out, and you can hang them on drones. And I think, I think, that's probably what's going to happen. I don't think they're going to be firing you know howitzer shells randomly, and and so I I think that's quite. That's quite likely. The, the the these munitions. The biggest problem the Ukrainians have right now is that they are going up against well designed, and the Russians have proved to be very good at this. Well designed defense in depth, which means they've got trench troops and trenches with anti tank weapons and uh, and and heavy heavy guns, uh, surround or fronted by a minefield fronted by another trench with with heavy weapons in it fronted by another minefield and then back behind all of that are their tanks and artillery which will fire on anything moving in this this kill zone that the that the russians have designed and and they've had time and this this is i was not a huge fan i i I generally am not upset at the way the biden administration has prosecuted the war which by the way belies my earlier comment about their foreign policy incompetence. Yeah, you know, they seem to have done a, a pretty reasonable job on this. I'm not I'm not I'm not slamming it, but 
you know, because at the time we were worried about about escalation. But it's absolutely true that the reason that the one of the reasons the Ukrainians are facing such a difficult uh, a difficult task right now is that we delayed and the West delayed giving them the kind of advanced weapons that would have allowed them to advance more rapidly and, and set up to advance more rapidly. And as a result, the Russians have developed a very effective defensive zone across most of the border where they're going to be attacking. And the and the Ukrainians are just having I mean, they've had a couple of disastrous assaults. They're they're being they're being very careful now. They're probing across a wide area. But the short answer is, you know, the Russians had time to dig in and and they have and they've used minefields very effectively and and the ukrainians don't have and and it's it's very difficult because well, you, they you don't keep, have you air keep power. using the word uh we have to they have to break here real quick a little bit uh we, we get a quick break though uh you keep using the word dig in so the 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 two-week advance to take over ukraine is obviously out this is becoming more almost like trench warfare in ukraine what you're seeing right now, and, and this goes directly to air power, we can talk about this more, but what you're seeing right now is a direct effect of, of the, the inability of the Ukrainians to establish air superiority over there, over that area. And that's because of us. Okay, well, when we come back, I also want to touch on the, uh, the drone thing in Syria, and I also want to touch, well, John will join us, uh, Mr. Flanagan, which he loves to do when you're on, uh, and uh, I also want to Talk about are there any rules regarding uh, our our navy ships um, shoving uh, Iranian ships away from oil tankers and stuff? I mean, I think there probably aren't, but I'd like to get it from the from the expert. SP futures down three, Nasdaq futures down thirty four. Be right back. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Rebecca Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Alvin at Burn on the Board. 
have a quick traffic and weather here. Uh, SP futures down three, Nasdaq futures down 32. Let's look at the key ones here. The bonds, uh, they are uh, 4.05 after the pretty wild day last week. We were 4.06, we back up to like 4.17, then we came flying back down. This is all on those labor numbers, so they were all over the place. Uh, Asia, uh, real quick, Nikkei down 198.6%, Hang Seng up 114.6, Shanghai up 7.2. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 73, FTSE up 18, uh, CAC around up 38, so up a little bit over there. Uh, on Friday, we ducked down on the close reasonably quickly. Uh, S&Ps are down 12, NASDAQ up, down 18 after being up all day. Dow was down 187. Uh, oil down 40 cents, 73.46, but still way higher than it has been. We've got gold uh, down 290 at 19.29, still can't really go anywhere. We've got crypto down 49 bucks, 39,204. We've got the U.S. dollar up a little bit, but still 109 on the euro and 127 on the pound. So not much of a move back to the upside. Matt, what do you got real quick? Traffic weather sports. Uh, yeah, good morning. It is currently 6.34 a.m. on July 10th, 2023. Uh, the weather currently in Chicago, 69 degrees, a high of 78 degrees today. Uh, sunny skies throughout the day. Tomorrow we're expecting some cloudy skies and a high of 74. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 91 degrees currently, a high of 107 degrees later on. Weather surface in Phoenix declared an excessive heat warning to stay in effect until this Sunday, July 16th. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs beat Yankees 7-4, White Sox lose to Cardinals 3-4, and Diamondbacks lost their game against Pirates 2-4. And uh, yesterday in uh, men's national soccer, the U.S. wins against Canada due to a penalty shootout, making the U.S. the decided winner, putting them 3-2 this season. So for now, Chief, back to you. Lou, uh, real quick, did you see the guy in a... Do we have Mr. Flanagan? I assume we do. We do indeed. Uh, do you see the guy in Cincinnati Good still? morning, Tom. Morning, Lou. And that. Hey, John. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. How about you? Uh, yeah, we're uh, other than being an hour earlier than where you are, we're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the dude uh, steal the three bases on the two pitches in the Cincinnati game? I I did see the video of that. Is that wild or what? That uh, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's great great talent by the base stealer or uh, or or incompetence by the uh, you know by the fielding team, but uh, mm-hmm. pretty pretty good. Well, the third baseman was playing so far off. There's no way the guy was going to get to third to cover him on the on a base on a, on a one to third. I mean, if he didn't move immediately, the guy was going to he got a big lead off. He just took off. He he just ran right by the third baseman. So he was so he was kind of safe there. And then the third baseman moves back off again. He kind of wanders off the bag, and the pitcher's in disgust. Kind of turns around and he takes off. I've never seen anybody uh, steal a base without a pitch being thrown. Have you? I mean, no, I, no, it's. It's it's bad bad fielding. I will note, by the way, just before we get back to substantive discussion, uh, the number one pick in the uh, MLB draft was a former Air Force Academy pitcher. Yeah, kid, yeah. kid played two years at Air Force and then and then went to LSU. And uh, uh, I mean, he was he was absolutely dominant as you might imagine in the Mountain West and uh, and. and Almost as dominant in the SEC, but anyway, congratulations to uh, Skeens, Paul Skeens. He's like a Mark Pryor. Hopefully, he lasts longer than Mark Pryor. Let, let's hope. So you wanted to you wanted to ask a question about uh, uh, two, really, I, whichever one couple. you want to do first. We've got drones flying all over Syria. That you know, just because that one is nowhere near the front page of the paper, reminds me of the movie with my favorite girl in there, uh, where he, in Afghanistan you had to do more and more crazy stuff to get in the. Hey, I guess what's still going on in Syria? We seem to have drones in the air, and 
<clears throat> plus we killed <clears throat> allegedly killed some guy yesterday with a drone and a motorcycle of all things and and the Russians have planes too and they're messing with our drones now these what are the size of these things I mean, we're not talking about the, the one you, you put over your picnic that little drone type of thing I mean how, how big are these suckers or are they all different sizes they they are all different sizes uh, the global hawk which is basically the size of a, of a you know a peck of regional jet flies at about 80,000 feet and uh, the, the Russians have made a couple of attempts to pass us at that thing over uh, over the Black Sea the the drone that killed the uh, guy on the, the ISIS leader on a motorcycle and I I can only imagine the effect of a Hellfire missile fired at you on a motorcycle uh, but that guy was killed by what's called a Reaper uh, drone which is a is a much smaller uh, probably the size of a, uh, I don't know, a Fiat. <laughs> but these things are more like airplanes. They're not like the little things with the little propellers zooming around like a regular drone you would well, see. Well, right. These are fully. These are fully. You know, the guys flying these are are, are basically guys, especially you know, are effectively pilots. Um, the the aircraft the aircraft is remotely controlled through a satellite link. It's typically armed with a couple of uh, Hellfire missiles. Uh, it's you know has laser guidance on it, high high resolution TV. Um, I'd be interested to know if they use the. Uh, you may remember when we killed Soleimani in uh, in Iraq, the Iranian defense minister who were uh, Iranian uh, general who was visiting there. We used a non-explosive uh, Reaper uh, Hellfire missile that that they referred to as the Ginsu. Because so what, it just hit him. That, in, it just hit him in the head. No, it can it, it, it it's effective against people in cars. What happens is the missile, as it as it locks onto the target, it's fired just before it hits. These these three foot long blades spring out. You know, tungsten steel blades spring out from the side of the missile, so that it it looks like a flying big flying X, and that's what goes into the target, and it, you know, slices, dices, chops. You know. And, well, and you get an extra one. God, and you I get an extra to, one free if you if you buy if you buy one now. Do you really want to meet the guy who designed it? Oh, I think it's I think it's genius. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I'm. I guess I'm, it is. There's no collateral damage unless you're in the car next door. Or that, well, you're, there's no collateral. Yes, yeah, unless you're sitting in the car next to him. I mean, it doesn't blow up. Anyway, I assume they got this guy in the motorcycle with a with an explosive uh, warhead. But anyway, these things these things fly, and, and they're and they're uh, propeller driven. They're not jets. So, so well, what state is Syria in? Is it still all chaos? We just don't hear about it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, we've we've basically we've basically told the the Syrians, the Syrian government, other than the Iranian government, who were this this administration is trying still trying to make friends with. It's a legacy of the Obama people. The Syrian government, we've basically told, uh, listen, you don't control large swaths of your of your country. And those swaths of your country that you don't control, where ISIS is active, we are going to kill. You know, we're part of an international coalition. You got the Russians in there. You've got us in there. I think there are Brits in there. We're going to kill, target and kill terrorists, guys who who have uh, proved to be uh, dangerous to our troops in the area, who have proved to be dangerous to the international community. ISIS is one of them. If we find an ISIS leader, we're we're going to we're going to kill him if he's in if he's in this area where you are not exercising government control. And, so how much how much of Syria does the Syrian government control? Like a third? I, I don't I don't know, but it but large swaths of the north 
east part of the country, you know, near Iraq and uh, in that area, are, uh, are are you know free fire zone. And, and so the mean, Russians are messing around there. We're messing around there. The ISIS yeah, is in everybody's yeah, there. This this is this is that story I told you about the Wagner Group uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, last week. That 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 is the part of one of the areas of Syria that was that was under you know nobody's control and we were holding that oil that oil refinery the wagner people wanted to try to take it okay okay i remember that right yeah okay so yeah so these drones are these drones are flying around the russians are flying their aircraft near them because because the russians do not a don't want us to have influence in that area the russians are back in the the the, the, allegedly the guy who allegedly still runs syria really doesn't Right, Assad, who yeah. who has control over you know Damascus and a few other areas, but but not control here, and so we are we are imposing our will there. Uh, Assad does not like it. Uh, in some respect, in some instances, we are we are killing people who are aligned with him or or preventing uh, tribal or, or terrorist groups aligned with him from having influence. And what what is uh, our legitimacy being there? Is it a UN thing? Is it just or we just there? Um, it, it's a measure of, you know, a, a continuing operation under our law. It is a function of the war on terror, where we really aren't, we really aren't actively engaging in combat operations except against terrorist groups that we've identified in the area. The beautiful thing about this war on terror, and I don't like terrorists any more than anybody else, but is it, it's it's total never-ending war. Who's ever going to define it as being over? There's it, always going to be somebody a, doesn't like us. It's a blank. It's a blank check to operate uh, a legal a legal uh, blank check to operate forever. I mean, I mean Le- legal uh, meaning here, not meaning internationally. Oh no, this is internationally. This is interna- appropriate under international law. You you have you have a country basically in, uh, uh, breaking down where they are not exercising control over these areas and and the people in these areas represent threats to you and under international law we could apply that to mexico yes you could yes you could uh and 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 there has been a movement within the u.s government and in the u.s military for us to go to the mexican government and say we are going to go after a number of people in mexico and in fact We've sort of been doing that. I don't know if you are aware of that, but we've we've had special operations forces that have worked with the Mexican government to to operate in Mexico against cartel members. Um, off was, topic a little was, bit, but maybe the next thing. But just a question is: Is the Mexican government independent from the cartel, or we don't even know, or we do, or we we don't do we even figure that they already aren't? I think at the upper I think at the upper echelons, the Mexican government is probably cartel independent. But I also think that, and we know. That, that Mexican law enforcement is riddled and Mexican internal government is riddled with cartel informants and, and cartel cronies. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Chicago in the games. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, without a doubt. You know what? Well, your, city, people, your city council. You know, your pe- city council's got lots of people who've got gang affiliations. Well, people don't change. Did you, I don't think either one of you dudes were on the show at the time. Uh, Dr. J was still here. And, uh, and, Who's the guy, Jan? You'll know this. Who's the dude from uh, University of Chicago that wrote the book on gang uh, hierarchy and organization? How it's just like a regular business. Who's that guy? That was a. Uh, oh yeah, I can't. I can't think of the name right now. But yeah, um, it'll come to me eventually. 
early yet. Yeah, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. He was saying about how the different different levels and how you know they infiltrate this and infiltrate that. Oh, by the way, there's informants here, and you pay this guy there. It's I mean, it's like reading The Godfather all over the place, all over again. I mean, it's well, I, I was I was astounded when I when I first heard after shortly after I moved to Chicago that that city there were a, a city councilwoman was in a romantic relationship with some with some gangbanger who she'd made her I, chief of staff. I don't think she's the first, or I don't think there's a there, there's a guy. I, I just I yeah. just no, I'm not certainly saying she was the first. I'm just saying that that was just my first exposure to. My first exposure to that symbiotic relationship between well, your. I mean, why? Why do you? I mean, how do you think this? Is, we don't seem to ever want to catch these people. I mean, uh, uh, you well, know, it's, I, the, the big... only guy that really seemed to be focused on it was Jody Weiss, and, and you know what happened to him. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get even more off topic, before Jen has a chance to get a word in here, what, what, what's what's the story with the ships going back and forth in the Persian Gulf? I mean, is Iran? Can anybody's navy, if if, if somebody wanted to, didn't thought we were no good nicks. Could the Australians have a destroyer 12 miles off New York and just hang in there waiting for something bad to happen? Or how, did, how does that work? Well, the Iranians are engaged in international piracy. So, so they're on the high seas. They're outside the 12-mile limit. Their boats are operating in international waters, and they are attacking oil tankers. And for some inexplicable When you say attacking reason, them, they're not trying to sink them, are they? Uh, they're trying to they're trying to capture them. Yeah, they're firing on them and and, and driving them into Iranian ports and capturing okay. them. Okay, all right. So they're not trying to have a huge oil slick on the in the Persian. No, Gulf. no. They want the they want the oil and they want to disrupt traffic. And and because because Joe Biden and his administration have a love affair with with Iranian leadership, and that's the only way I can characterize it because it doesn't make any sense. We are not doing what any other imperial state would do in a situation like that and that is killing the people that are involved in these acts of piracy we should be sinking those ships those little fast boats we should be sinking them we should be taking when you say them we what do we got hanging around over there we got just destroyers and stuff we got or what? destroyers and cruisers and and we have the capability to deal with these with these vessels and uh you know i really what the only the only way that that stops is if you send a clear message to iran that we are going to make the cost of this operation to you higher than than whatever benefit you think you're well, getting. How, how trapped is a destroyer or a cruiser in the Persian Gulf, though, if we ever got ugly? Well, it's not like they're in a bathtub. You know, you're talking miles and miles of, of, of water. And and if the Iranians were stupid enough to, to, you know, mount an effective attack against a U.S. vessel on the high seas, there would be some fairly... I, I, I can't... Under a normal administration, there would be very serious consequences. With this administration, because they are desperately trying to cut some kind of deal with Iran, because I think, I think they are desperate to get some kind of foreign policy uh, triumph after Afghanistan. Um, uh, there, there. I don't know what would happen. Well, but well, Farah used to be on the on the show. I mean, he clearly is uh, the guy. Well, he used to know more about Iran. So he lived there, and his dad was uh, the Shah's air guy or something is there is there some and maybe Jan has we've talked with Jan more about this than I have anybody else is there some kind of according to Fari like 90% of the people want the, want this government out of there and they've got an amazing secret service to put anybody who says boo in jail and everything else is there some sort of a weird thing that we keep hoping that if we play somewhat nice that these people get overthrown because they're so unpopular I mean 
it's more likely there than I think in China. But is that still totally? Is there some way this message is getting sort of messed up, where we just don't really want to think of them as an enemy because they used to not be? Or I mean, is, there, is there something about that that I'm missing here or not? I'll defer to John on that. I I have never quite figured out what's going on with Obama and the Iranians or with uh, Biden and the Iranians because um, clearly I mean, we don't have any kind of leverage to get much of what we, I think, would, would like to have out of an alliance other than just to keep cozying up to them. But we, the Obama negotiations, so-called, with Iran, I thought they were just scandal at the time. I, mean, I had no idea why we were doing any of this. We got so little out of it. It seemed like we were far more interested in just delivering some kind of public relations victory to the Iranians than getting anything tangible out of it, out of it ourselves. Um, I, I think it's been bad for business in the region to have this kind of hands-off affair with them. Um, I'm just flummoxed. You know, it, It's kind of like when, when Biden said the other night to uh, Fareed Zakaria in that interview that uh, Ukraine isn't ready yet for admission into NATO. <laughs> then what the heck are we? What is this all about? Somebody explain to me how we've gotten in this deeply. If that's well, I think the definition there, Jen, was all along. The definition there is if you let them in, it means that everybody in Europe is is a, is a obligated to fight Russia, which nobody wants to do. I mean, they they want them in after well, the war. Of course, is over. of yeah. course, of course. I mean, just there's no way that's like nobody wants to see that triggered. But, but I mean, the reason we overthrew, you know, what the heck was his name, Poroshenko, or the whole thing was, was designed to push this, and now we seem to be realizing it was a stupid move, and it's like he's, you know, buying time or, or trying to, like, stir up something in Ukraine to make it look like the U.S. is not full behind what Zelensky seems to think is the natural natural outcome of all of this. I, I, it just confirms what I think Lou said, and I agree completely, that if you wanted to find out what to do you know, in foreign affairs, go to Joe Biden and find out what he says and do the exact opposite. I, I don't get any of this anymore. Well, I, at the risk of being a goofball by doing this, if you put yourself... I mean, I'm not going to say anything nice about the Iranians, especially this government. Although it's, uh, it seems to me the Iranian people, I don't know how they let themselves get taken over by these people, but they did. Uh, they're surrounded by nuclear powers. So the idea that there's only four people with nuclear weapons anymore is so ridiculous. I mean, if, if I was a legitimate government in Iran, I'd almost maybe want one because everybody around me's got one. Well, we're, well okay. So let, let's let's go, let's look look at what's going on with Ukraine. We we get the nukes out of Ukraine. In, in the early 90s. We signed the agreement with the, with the <clears throat> former Soviet Union and we moved the nuclear weapons out of Ukraine. And and everybody at the time, and I was working in Russia when this was going on, everybody there at the time was saying, that's probably a mistake for the Ukrainians because, because when Russia gets its feet on the ground again, it's going to go after Ukraine and it's going to go after the Baltics. And people, Russians were telling me this. These are former Russian military guys that I worked with in in the mid 90s in in moscow and the environs um they were saying look we're, we're not we're not going to give up ukraine and and the, the fact that they they gave those weapons up is a is a mistake so everybody now watches the invasion of ukraine they watch the invasion in 2014 they watch the invasion now and everybody says you know what if i'm a small state and i want to guarantee my security i either align with a nuclear state like nato or i get my own nukes so, so that's one of the big messages from from Ukraine. If you're sitting back and just sort of, sort of watching this, 
I, I, I think given what we knew at the time when we knew it and, and the general cautiousness of, of poking a nuclear-powered bear or a nuclear-armed bear, I, I, I would tell you that our strategy right now in Ukraine is to bleed Russia dry to the extent that we can kill as many which is what we did to them in afghanistan what they try to do to us in vietnam it's been going on forever this is exactly this is this is vietnam except it's on you know it's on it's on russia's border but russia provoked it so so it's we're bleeding to try to bleed them dry demoralize them make them look stupid destabilize putin's government make it look make it look bad and and we're doing this at the cost of ukrainian territory lives equipment whatever the the from a from a a purely functional per, Machiavellian perspective, Metternichian Kissingerian perspective, this this conflict has been highly useful for us because it it's scared the living daylights out of Europe. The the several of the European nations have finally woken up and are starting to arm themselves appropriately. By the way, did you see the report on how many operational main battle tanks uh, uh, the United Kingdom has right now? Um, it's less. It's less than a hundred. Well, you know, with, with all this stuff you're telling me about how oh, easy so, it is. So this, this anyway. The, my my point is, from from a purely functional perspective, we get lots of foreign policy. We get foreign policy benefits out of making the Russians look stupid. We get foreign policy benefits out of having NATO get the living daylight scared out of it, so that they start they start ramping up their weapons procurement. We and we, buying stuff from us, of course. Exactly. Yep. We get a huge economic boost from the fact that our defense industries now have to go into overdrive. And everybody kind of looks around and says, you know what? We don't have enough stuff. And we're going to have to have more stuff. And and so and so, from a purely utilitarian perspective, there's some real benefits for this, or of, of this for us. So just just noting that right out there. I. I, I absolutely agree with John, though. I don't think I don't think there's a coherent policy in place. I don't think there's an end game on this. I don't think, and I don't think the president and his people have any idea what this is going to look like how, at the uh, end of the day. How what can, we want it to look like at the end of the day? How can you have a question for the both of you dudes, as they say in the South Side? How can you have a coherent policy when you deal with governments that, ten years later, something they signed? It's like the, the French coming back and saying we want Louisiana back. I mean. Uh, I mean, the, the Russians cut the deal. Now or, the Russians, ben and, or Ben and Jerry saying we should give all our land back to the uh, back to the Indians. Or yeah, if you, if you, it's well. <laughs> I thought they were selling ice cream. Yeah, I. I uh, <laughs> by the way, did you see that thing? I came across. Uh, I don't know, some one of the listeners, I think, sent it to me. Back in the 1500s, how many? They alleged that all these actual cities were in the U.S. that were Indians. I didn't. I did, I did not know that there was ever big population centers of American Indians. Well, sure. How do you think Cleveland got a baseball team? Oh, God. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> the, uh, that big stadium up there that was all built by Native Americans. Oh, God. The, uh, oh, there's, an, there's an interesting book. It's, it's called The Invasion of America by Francis Jennings, who is a controversial historian, to say the least, but, but he makes a case in that book that you know the the population in you know this in North America was enormous, uh, especially along the coastal regions. You know where the first settlers from from Europe came, hmm. and that the, the wipeout because of smallpox um, alone and other diseases, certainly smallpox, uh, decimated the population 
within yes. a matter of a generation or two. I, and I think he kind of overstates his, his evidence a little bit, but it's an interesting story. Well, you know, I, the only disease. I, 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 will, I will say this. I will say this. I, I, I would suggest that basically the the quote, you know, cities unquote or or large scale settlements that that were here were present in North America probably wouldn't qualify as cities in our concept. No, they're mostly mounds and things like that. But the stuff in Mesoamerica, the Incas, the the stuff that we're finding in Central America and in South America, those look like cities. Oh, without a doubt. Well, you know, I I read this thing about how the the reason why it became, well, I'll use the term hunter-gatherer, is they didn't have any, the lack of uh, North America did not have any domestic animals. There were no cows, no horses, and no chickens. And if you don't have domestic yep. animals and you don't have agriculture, there's really no reason to live together. And there's no reason to have uh, rules, because if you live together, you got to have rules, right? If everybody's running around shooting buffalo, not to, you know, that's not to degrading anybody, but you don't really need rules. Everybody's always on the move. No, it was, a, it was basically a state of nature, if I could quote Thomas yeah. Hobbes. Yeah, it was a... But, yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, the only... Boy, this is... You know, the only disease that the... That, got flipped back at the Europeans because all the diseases that came here had decimated Indians, mostly smallpox, and there was other stuff. Uh, the, the only disease that went the other way? Lung, lung cancer from smoking tobacco? Syphilis. <laughs> syphilis. There was, no, uh, there was no, no syphilis in Europe until they landed in the, in, uh, in the New World. Hmm. But, but they flipped how many diseases this way and only one went back? A bad one, but... but but it's the only one that went back, I think. That's why I've read that. You know, wow. I, who knows if it's right or not? But, but the uh, the first was the first incidents of uh, biological warfare was the British winging blankets at the Indians that they knew had mm. small park stuff in there. Well, it wasn't the first. I mean, I mean, it was quite common in, in medieval sieges That's for them right. to shoot and throw infected corpses and uh, catapults. Really? Infected uh. corpses. Yeah, and quite, yeah. The, century into the, the cons. Yeah. There are, there are no new tricks, eh? It's like there's no, no new fetishes, Lou, which you've always... You yeah, know, I, mean, I mean, I mean, wow. Again, one of my favorite movies is Monty Python's Search of the, In Search of the Holy Grail. And, and, or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And when they shoot that cow over the battlements in, in the French castle, I was, I was laughing hysterically, but I also thought, ha, huh, there's at least a historical precedent for this, and they, they weren't exactly wrong. <laughs> oh, God. But, I, you know, I... I I think one of the hardest parts, I mean, if, if we were all in the... Imagine three of us arguing in the Oval Office about, about policy, is having to, trying to figure out what exactly the motivation is of the people who run these con- countries. I mean, we're, we're not dealing with ourselves. We're not dealing with the Brits that if they sign something 100 years from now, it's still a signatory. I mean, it, I mean the idea that Russia gave up a place and then one government later to invade the place again, mm. how, the, how can you be a big, big boy con- country and do that stuff? Obviously not, huh? Well... well Explain to me, and we got. I'm I'm going to let John yeah. roll on with this. Explain to me what the what the business case is for the Chinese taking Taiwan. Uh, as you have been, you've changed my whole psyche on this, though. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not, um, because I was not totally in the camp of the Freedmanites that if you had just got to the point where you had some economic Freedman stuff, that there would be a tendency, not necessarily a of the of the political thing to follow but clearly as time has gone by and I've gotten older I realize that's not the wrong that's the wrong way uh, of looking at things because 
these guys in some places they just never seem to get out of power no matter what no matter no matter what you do and clearly I, I cannot believe that this thing in Iran has lasted as long as it has when that country was 80 percent of the way of being I'll use the term a real place mm. before and yet somehow we get these relapses we do it we did it in Venezuela we get it we're doing it in Turkey we get these relapses into these whatever kind of government you think it is and you you're absolutely right I cannot inject my own mentality and say this is how I would act therefore that's how they would act you I, t- I've you got to, uh, to I got to run but if you want to make yourself crazy go back and pull up pictures and get them on the internet pictures from Kabul in Afghanistan in the in the 1960s mm. you'll 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 cry when you look at those well Argentina in the 20s 1920s right yeah yeah I mean Kabul Kabul there it was a western looked like a western capital looked like a european capital Women walking around, stylishly dressed, people in suits. I mean, it, and, you know, look at it now. Oh, unreal. Lou, thank you very much. Covering with Greg, who's, uh, who's having festival overload. We'll be right back real quick. Jen's still with us. Uh, Stacks and Jacks. See you guys. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. I'm an American. You're sick.
Low and welcome back to Station Jacks. I'm tomorrow. I'm at burning the board. SP Futures up a buck and a half. NASDAQ Futures down two. So we're back to being right by the flat line here after being down last night. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, so now we're uh, trying to make a move. Well, we got the CPI and PPI this week. So those will be big numbers. I'm, I'm going to be nasty and say they're probably already fudging them, but that's another <laughs> another story. Uh, John, all kinds of stuff uh, uh, we can talk about. I... Uh, I, the, the inflation, boy, talk about rearing its ugly head. Um, place I manage, of course, with a huge rain last week. A little moisture upstairs. And I thought it was a part of the roof that we had redone a few years ago, maybe the skylight. So the roofer comes over. Actually, the roofer's son goes up there, and he's he's down in a second. And I'm like, okay, that, that was quick. Jeez, you know the front part where we didn't do? Yeah, well, that's the problem. Uh, okay, I guess that does make some sense. There's a deck there and everything, so I go, all right, what's the what's the story here? And uh, he's, well, the deck needs to come off and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. And, then, you know, you got to put it back down, obviously. But then I said, he goes, well, we can either, it looks like people have been kind of patching it through the years. And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, we could, like, do that and do, like, the half-ass fix and just do a better job than anybody's done before, and you might get... You know, three, four, five years out of it, but it really needs to be done like the one up to, up on top was. Mm. So I go, all right, what do you suppose the damage on that would be? So, well, we probably half-ass fix it for like 2500 <laughs> And if we want to do the whole job, it's like uh, by, by like nine grand. I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm. It's like a quarter the size of the part, you, the part you did last time, and you had to redo the pitch and the skylight. And, and uh, so how is it nine versus 11? Don't forget, you're you're getting a half-assed job. No, this is the real job. <laughs> this is the, to tear the thing off and start oh, over. See, you know, all new wood and everything. New job. He says, "Well, this thing like inflation. Like I, I know I've heard of it. <laughs> I know what it is. He goes, the uh, the roll of paper we use, whatever. One of the rolls of paper would a year ago is ninety bucks. Now it's one hundred and fifty. And I think, Jan, that there's there's inflation out there that people don't even realize." That our guys aren't telling us that until you come up with it, until you have to get your car fixed, until you have to buy a car, until you need a roof or need windows, you're you're happily oblivious to the, what exactly is going on around you in the last two years. And as minute you you get this shock, you go, wait a minute, how can it be almost as much as the whole upper roof last time, where it took you like twelve guys to do it? Oh yeah, well that's inflation. I'm thinking, okay then. Just saying. I think you know if you look at the the restaurant industry, Tom. I think there's there's real inflation, but there's also you know kind of useful inflation uh, um, because you know everybody's paying more for everything pretty much. I mean, every, everybody knows that. Um, and there's some commodities or some goods that have you know gone up astronomically. Some have come back down. Some are you know, all over the ball, ballpark. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of focus on on you know, one thing in, in, a, in this area. But when you get to a climate where everybody expects to pay more for everything and you're already kind of stressed maybe you paid more last week in your electric bill than you're going to make on the next you know roofing deal you have or something it's easy for you just to say well inflation made me do it and you know here's what here's what the bill's going to be this time around and it has nothing to do really with the cost of goods or services which is one aspect of inflation if you got a labor shortage or a commodity you know, resource shortage or a supply chain problem but now it's just, it's just a convenient way of stockpiling somebody else's money against your ever-increasing expenses in other ways 
have nothing to do with your business. And I think the restaurant industry kind of proved that was the case. Uh, and I think they're not the only one doing it now. Well, eggs went to uh, some people were paying five bucks, six bucks a dozen. Well, they're down. Myers yesterday they were a buck oh nine, you know, or something like that. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. re- how much they've come down is is you know and that happens to commodities. I don't. I have not seen any place because Audrey and I go to breakfast every Sunday down there. Have not erupted a twelve fourteen dollar omelet. Not one of them is is where they were they right over the stuff where it goes up a buck. I haven't seen one of them driving them down a buck. And I'll no. tell you what, uh, eggs, you know, yeah. eggs were four, four or five bucks a dozen. Now they're a buck nine at my Aldi over here. Yeah, so even if you use nothing. you know three eggs in the omelet or even four, <laughs> for God's sake, you get what you're talking you, pennies. You, you yeah, know, you, yeah, you're talking you know four omelets a, a dozen, and that's sixty bucks. <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, I'm just you know obviously the other stuff is, but we, we we've seen is, it, it's like. I don't know, John. I talk about this too much, but it's it's almost like a mash unit. If you walk in and you got a broken leg, hopefully you don't have a bullet hole, and your leg's sticking out, and they keep saying, "Yeah, it looks like you got a little pain problem in your leg." Here's an ant. <laughs> Unless you figure out what's wrong with it, you can't fix it. And I just went through some numbers this morning and uh, the money supply, and I got I know, beat up on this one, but just real quick because I've been eyeballing the numbers today. I actually figured them out uh, for everybody from uh, February. 2020 to uh, July 2022, which was the top, uh, well, so far the top, the Fed drove the money supply up 39.9%, so say 40%. So anybody who is knows anything about monetary theory says you just raise the prices across the board 40%, not right away because it takes a while for it to filter way through. And some of it, you poured so much money in, just going back to the Fed every night, so you really sort of can't, can't account that. But as time has gone by, it's been absorbed, absorbed, absorbed. You can count on just about everything being up almost that price. And now that the Fed, every day, these morons, there's going to be three days of morons. I should, individually, they're not morons, but boy, when they talk, you want They're going to talk about how hard they're fighting. It's their first priority. Well, since July of 2022 to today, or last month when you get the numbers, They've taken that 40% increase, and we're down 3.8%. And so it's in 2.2 2. 2 years, it went up 40%. In one and a half years, it's down 40%, 4%, 3.9%. Tell me how hard they're working this. God. Yeah, pretty hard. Yeah, never, you know. I mean, tell me how, how hard they're really pushing this. I mean, they're not. Because, because a lot of people like the prices up here, and a lot of people don't. And... uh you know, you know what I was looking at this morning, John, which is surprising, is I keep looking at the individual person's uh, mean income, uh, and it really hasn't gone up all that much. Uh, this is more of a sociological question for you. It really hasn't gone up all that much. It's gone from like, I don't know, I can get the debt clock. It's gone from like 31000 and 2000 Even with all the raises this year, the, the individual mean income, median, sorry, is up to like forty. Which is higher than on this debt clock thing because I always thought they were a little light. I'll kick this up here, but how does how is the family meaning come up to over seventy one? Are we saying that the that the second earner is, uh, or is is there is there money there other than the two people's salary? I'm kind of surprised because usually there's a a main breadwinner whether it's the husband or the wife. I mean it doesn't really matter uh, in terms of you know who's the main, and then there's 
somebody who's not. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the uh, the second person's making, you know, almost over three quarters of what the first person is. I mean, are you? I mean, or am I just, or am I just being goofy by, by thinking that? You know, hidden in those numbers could be the fact that so many, you know, younger people, you know, have experienced a failure to launch and are not working big jobs or are not living on their own and are still living under the family umbrella in, you know, a basement of their parents' house or taking up a bedroom or garage or something. And those people, I guess, you know, are considered you know, family members still, you can't change that relationship short of some kind of you know, legal change. But, you know, they're not moving away. They're still in that household. Um, and maybe it shows just how little some people are making at jobs, assuming maybe there's three or four people in some families in addition to the breadwinner. So you're, so you're saying my mistake is in thinking it's only one other person. Yeah. Might, might be one. So, you know, these guys at the deck clock could be, that could are... Be several. And this, this, I don't, I don't know how you can, I, I, I don't know how you can quantify this, or if there's any way in the survey that, that illustrates, you know, how this, this could affect that number. But it would have to be something like that, because it, as you say, I don't think that there's enough people, just like an ancillary breadwinner, somebody who's, you know, holding the, the fort together, is doing it on a, on a salary almost equal to what the breadwinner is getting, unless there's other people contributing or there's multiple jobs being. You know, well, some people, the debt clock says the median income is $35,900, and you look at a whole bunch of other places, they're spot on. It's like 36000 but in other places now say it's closer to forty. Um, I will say this, wh- whoever the second person in, be it the husband or the wife, even if they're making the same amount, say forty, the net is not the same. Right. Like, because clearly the second person leaving, meaning you have child care expenses, you've got a second car, you've got all kinds of other stuff. You've got clothes. I mean, the ladies who used to work in the marketing group at the CBOE when I was uh, in, uh, I was chairman of the marketing committee for uh, three years maybe, and uh, there was a you know a couple guys that were the uh, were there and uh, two or three ladies, and uh, they they were both. Well, one didn't have any kids, the other one did, and she was saying that lived in you know I don't know somewhere in Mount Prospect someplace said. The clothes you need to go to work every day, because in those days everybody dressed up. The uh, clothes you need to go work every day, and you know we're not talking about, you know, running around the, uh, uh, you know, Oak Street or someplace, just looking good. Uh, the train, the child care, and everything. She was making seventy-five-ish. Her expenses were probably thirty-five or more. Uh, so it's not, you know, the net is not sort of there. But hey, I, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, I don't know if you saw Chris Christie this weekend. Of course, he's launching it on Trump because he was so close to Trump, he can't stand How come the, the people who got so close to him can't stand the guy? Uh, Christie was part of his team. And who was the other guy? Uh, the money manager dude, Dr. J's buddy. Uh, what's his name? The Italian dude out of New York. Went work for him for what? Oh, like, Scaramucci? Yeah, uh, can't stand him. <laughs> and uh, the closer you get to the dude. Anyway, but Christie's talking about uh, Social Security reforms, and he says the people who make a real lot of money shouldn't get their Social Security. And uh, I just, you know, it's it's kind of stunning to me, Jan, how the most most of the population, and even me for most of my life, uh, even me, but me for most of my life, uh, you, know, you thought Social Security was somewhat of a half-assed insurance policy, right? But 
really. I mean, at the, when I got to the University of Chicago, where the, one of the uh, professors said, Social Security is two things. It's a tax, and it's a welfare system. And, they've, and it's never really been designed to match. I mean, they've tried to on a few occasions, and they move it back and forth. But it's not really uh, an insurance type of system. It's, it's, it's a, a tax, taxing system, and it's a welfare system, which is, you know, the, it's, it's somewhat designed for them to sort of match up, right? But it's not really like your, your normal life insurance or your car insurance or whatever that, that sort of exactly matches up or is intended to. And it, it, it's somewhat surprising. I, I'm sort of kind of surprised that Christie would say something like that, A, because it's a political dead end, uh, but B, because I'm not so sure that if, if you're Daddy Warbucks and you paid into it your whole life, that you shouldn't get a check. I mean, if you pay into your life insurance and you croak, your family gets the money, they don't say you got enough, do they? No. Well, you know, this changed under Reagan um, with the Windfall Reduction Act, where Social Security benefits were reduced if you also had, you know, a pension of some kind. And it was, you know, there's a computation Social Security uses. I, I'm in this boat because I worked, you know, Social Security jobs for more than 20 years. And then the job I got as a teacher, and it wasn't like I went out looking for, you know, a job among 50 job offers I had. I took the job offer that's on the table, which was, you know, the State University Retirement System, um, which I had to separately qualify to get, you know, an annuity. Uh, but my Social Security is knocked down considerably because I have a pension. And, you know, I, I didn't get a that, that just is that. because That's just because that's a, a governmental pension, right? If it's a pension from Pullman, you know, there's no reduction, right? I think it's, I, no, I think it's, it, I don't know if it makes a distinction. It may be public pensions. You could be right about that, um, but it, but it seems you know that you know if you if you earned you worked for the money and paid into it, um, the benefit you know you would think was sort of frozen, whatever it would be. But this this could be tweaked, you know, legislatively as it has been. What's also happening too, Tom, and you know, I don't know if Christie is coming from direction or not, but you know. Social Security has gotten into trouble over the years because people were living longer and, you know, living years beyond, you know, they were paying into it as, as workers. And now the, the trend is going in the opposite direction where life expectancies are falling and yet they've raised, you know, the eligibility level for full Social Security benefits. So, you know, I don't know what kind of squeeze this is going to <laughs> take out of the system or, or lessen the squeeze that's going to be taken out of it in the future. But, but because it's so tightly tied to demographic trends um, for its solvency, I think we're, we're in kind of uncharted territory in a way because we haven't seen life expectancies drop in this country before. Uh, and well, they're dropping a little bit. I think they never really caught up with them getting higher as before they started to drop, I don't think. Well, it, but there is a point at which this is going to shift in some direction and... It, when you've got an attempt to, to solve the problem by raising eligibility ages for full benefits, but you've got dropping life expectancy, you know that's got a, a different kind of effect. So I don't that will take years for that to play out, um, and whether that lengthens Social Security's lifespan or shortens it, kind of remains to be seen. But well, there's there's um, actually what there's four. You say Social Security. There's the old age part. I don't, I don't know the specific name for it. And that's been the one that everybody focuses on. Uh, there's aid to dependent children, which I received when my dad died. 
uh, and there's dis long-term disability. Disability, SSI. And, and what's the fourth? Uh, there's four of them. Oh, God, I'm going to brain fart here. Uh, but the one that is growing um, is is the uh, long-term, what do they call it, long-term disability, it essentially is disability, yep. right? That's the right. one that was never a problem, and now it's it's almost like the extended welfare. And that's what you're seeing, extended, uh, not welfare, but extended, uh, what do you call it, when you're, unemployment. Because in some areas, people are just, uh, I, I remember reading that article, I, I mentioned a few more times, a few times on the show, that the guy who wrote the article, I forgot the name of it, but I should dig it out one of these days because it was really good. We should probably try, try and get that guy in here, uh, Jen, who wrote the, uh, I think he won a Pulitzer Prize for it. Anyway, it was not it was not entitled the horseshoe of whatever despair, but that was essentially the, the theme of it, going down through Appalachia across the south and back up like into Arkansas and Missouri. And he's gone through counties that how many people are on Social Security uh, disability, which, you know, is your whole life. I mean, what I'm saying, your whole life, if you get there when you're 45, you're getting it for however long you live. And they're talking about some of these people said, one lady, they interviewed her, and she's like 48. She worked in a... Uh, uh, what do you call them? I was going to say an old people's home. A, uh, a uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Retirement. Or? Retirement community. And evidently they didn't have the ones where if you're if you're big, they helps them lift you out of bed and so forth. She was 45. She had a, her back was all messed up. And she goes, I could easily have a job where I get to sit all day. She goes, I don't know of anybody in this county who has a job where they sit all day. I mean, unless probably you work for the county. And, uh, I mean, if you if you brought her up to Chicago and gave her, you know, a job in a school where she was an assistant, this or that, or maybe I mean, I I've got to believe she wouldn't be disabled. But down there, she is. She can't do her job anymore. So I mean, there's a lot of definitions here that they get pretty technical depending on where you are and who you are, right? Uh, yeah, you know, there's been an explosion in disability numbers really since the vaccines were rolled out. Yeah, this this doesn't get talked about that much anymore. But but there's there's such dislocation in the job market because of um, people who you know are not working for medical reasons or you know, long term medical problems. They're they're effectively you know not working and you know haven't been for a while. Look what this does to our productivity numbers too, Tom. I mean, I just I just think there's you know so many factors here that you you can't really put on the table all at once and move around and see them as creating kind of, some kind of pattern. That you can address, you know, with a single solution or a couple solutions without causing disruptions that you're not foreseeing. Well, um, clearly, we, people who got, are used to showing up at work every day, and there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs that are really debilitating over time, physically. I mean, mentally and stress wise. I mean, the, you know, a lot of people that sit in their ass all day, you know, sort of like me. Uh, that if, by the time you're you're worrying about clients and the markets and all kinds of crazy stuff. It, it can wear on you, but it's not wearing on you the same way as, you know, if you're out doing something physically and all of a sudden there's a couple of little injuries and all of a sudden you can't do it anymore. And uh, now we don't seem to have on a national scale, and clearly what Kevin is doing in, in Indiana, I can't believe how far ahead of those guys are, seemingly the people in Illinois, they're trying their best to say, okay, hey, you're 55, you still got a brain cell working, you still want to go to work, but your back's screwed up. Come out in here, and, and we'll teach you how to be a, a you know, whatever a, a, a guy who does a scheduling or something or someplace. Because they're probably not idiots if they're going to work every day. 
I mean, I don't know that on a national scale there's any of that. It appears from this guy's article, there's counties in Mississippi and Alabama and in West Virginia. If you can't work in a mine anymore, you're toast. I mean, even though you could do other stuff. And, and I don't see any really national uh, push to sort of make this all happen, to, to turn this bus around. I mean, same way uh, yesterday, last night, we had a big, uh, um, my sister-in-law was a very bright lady, uh, we talked. We talked about the homeless last night, and how each and every person. You know, there's no, there's groups that are helping out. Uh, there's an extent. I mean, Tom Dart was on. Uh, what's that? John Flannery's last show was yesterday. Did you see that? Yeah, and, uh, chat from Fox News. Yeah, yeah and uh, and uh, I, used to, I used to see that guy going back and forth on the in a train. Where I lived in Beverly. He's, he's yeah, Beverly. he lived in up the, the beautiful house on Longwood Drive. We used to admire it. The great big, you know, blue shingle place. I got, I got called to jury duty way back in the day, and he got, he was called the same day. They let him go right away. <laughs> but uh, nice enough. He seemed like a nice enough guy. Anyway, but he was on with Tom Dart, and Tom Dart was saying how the sheriff's department has had to use some of their budget to try and make sure that the this is the biggest mental institution in the state is there's a county county jail. And now when these guys get out of there, we don't want them all to be homeless. There's they since the state I don't know what was it Rounder closed all the. Uh, Mental institutions, they've had they've had to put a couple of their own up with their budget just to follow these guys out. So they just go right back on the street and do some weird stuff. I mean, it's there doesn't seem to be with all the money we're spending all over the place. I don't see the national drive to do this right from either party, and I, and I don't know why, John, because the economic pluses of bringing five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand people off of social security long term stuff and getting them someplace a job where they a feel better about themselves uh and all the other stuff the, the benefits of that are so dramatic i don't see why we don't realize it. and yet we just do other stuff that we think the uh, let's get everybody you know why why five or something or other and we'll get all those benefits by the way i was driving this morning a lady some lady retired from somewhere her first job was in 1949 she's like 91 she's never missed a day wow so, Matt, how many of you guys in your generation have never missed a day and never not been uh, on time? It's, that's a tough one. I think I think uh, myself, I missed a couple days. I See? missed more than a couple days, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say my all my years of trading, I missed two days due to illness, some, wow. some wacky thing. I Actually, I went out of, out of town on a board meet for a board meeting. I came back and caught something on the plane. I was dying for two days. Mm. I, just, I couldn't have. But other than that, I mean, I was there every day. I was never late. Uh, I mean, it's your livelihood. I mean, it's, if you're not there, you don't, you don't make any dough. I, mean, mm-hmm. or you don't, I guess if you're not there, you don't lose any dough either, but that's, you know, most jobs, you don't have to worry about that. But no, John, you know, you, you wonder what, what are the national, well, you know, who makes these decisions? Do you just kind of bump day to day? I mean, we're on with Lou. It's all the, it's all the same subject. I mean, are we, are we addressing the Iranian situation properly? It appears to me that somehow one group has this idea that one of these days we're going to wake up and find these guys out of office and they're going to back be in a place that deserves their spot back in the world, yet it hasn't happened. You know, how do, how do, you, how do you play that? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know if you can play Iran the same way as China. There's probably a bigger chance of those guys being overthrown in Iran. Maybe it's one in 100, but in China I make it one in 20,000. I mean, it's you – know, I, I think it has to go into the, the phrase somehow, don't you think? Because, I mean – yeah, you know, there's a long history of, you know, 
people who are you know have positions of power in intelligence and policy making you know sessions in Washington. So you get the Victoria Newlands and the Vimpin brothers um, who have a very personal, you know, two personal interests, I think, in uh, Ukraine and its future for, for the kind of positions they have in this country. And they seem to be, you know, pulling most of the strings to get what they want. Um, and there's there's been a history of this in, in all of the countries that we have any kind of connections to. We end up having people here who are in, you know, part of or fronts for interest groups there that are waiting for the first opportunity to, to go back in and make a killing somehow or, or exercise power locally by getting the you know, U.S. to foot the bill or you know, supply more aid or lengthen the war. Isn't the term, isn't the term carpetbaggers? Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, a, and this it's it's a highly fine-tuned craft now in Washington. Well, does it, I think well, all we, these... we follow the money, and we're the money, right? But I mean, I just on a on a, on a crazy scale, I don't really remember. I know when the the the, the people in, in uh, Russia fell apart, basically, and Gorbachev was the guy who came in and sort of signed the documents. We it was was him, right? And uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know that. I would have been smart enough to predict back then that you'd get some knucklehead like Putin in there, and all of a sudden he goes, "Hey, that land used to be ours. We want it back. We're going to go get it." I, I don't know that anybody would have anticipated that, at least in the modern world, or allegedly we're, that we're supposedly in. Do you? No, but it, it it was easy, I think, to foresee if you knew anything about the Russian temperament or its history, that there would be some blowback after all of the errors and the terrors of the Soviet era. That this would not just re- revert to a Russia that resembled the U.S. just because they. But we don't. We, but we don't. We have, we're gonna have Audrey on in a second. I hope you can hang around, John, because you get sure. talk more about real estate tonight. But I don't see us saying, "Hey, screw it, give us the Panama Canal back," or uh, or, or uh, Britain saying, "Give us Hong Kong back." I mean, most countries, a deal's a deal. I mean, uh, you would think, um, you know. Anyway, I guess we're not most countries. SP futures down one. Nasdaq futures down nine. Be right back, Audrey Johnson and Mr. John Flanagan talking about what's going on in the real estate world. These mortgages, this 10-year rate going up last week. These mortgages are, are crawling up again. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, 
or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everybody. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tom. At front of the board, SC futures down 25 cents. NASDAQ futures down 550. Dow futures up 35. So we got a very Flat morning so far uh, with the PPI coming out Wednesday. I'm, I'm sorry, CPI Wednesday and PPI Thursday. So I'm guessing the next couple days will be kind of not much going on. Of course, Friday looked like not much going on either. We drained out on the close pretty good. We were up all day and then finished down. Uh, matter of fact, as a review of Friday, we have the Dow is down 187, S&P down 12, NASDAQ down 18. Yes, the, the Spider, which is the S&P 500 that you trade, was 4:43 at 11 o'clock, and it finished at 4:38. So, uh, five-hour move in the spider is a reasonable number. One uh, percent on a, on a nothing Friday afternoon, but it just kind of slid. Uh, over in Asia today, we've got the Nikkei down 198.6 percent, Hang Seng up 114.6, but it's still well under 19,000 after the huge smack on Friday. 18,479. Shanghai up seven, 3203, back to over 3200, but just barely. Europe, we've got a little bit of rally going. These guys are down on Friday. Uh, DAX up 112, uh, that's 0.7%. FTSE up 35.5%. Kek around up 57.8%. Um, the bonds, and this has been a big story last week. Uh, Thursday, Friday, they did nothing but scream up. Tenure is 4.08. It, it traded, I think, 416 or something on Friday. It was pretty, very volatile. I would have taken mortgage rates with it, which we'll talk about Audrey in a second. One up three basis points, 2.67. Uh, Japan up three basis points, 0.47, getting near the the, the top. They let it run, 0.5%. We'll see if they get there. Uh, oil down 57 cents, but still over 73 bucks, 73.29. Brent down 56 cents, 77.91. Natural gas up eight cents, 267. We've got gold down 870. Was up a little earlier, 19.23. Again, it's kind of mired in this new lower range. Silver down 14 cents, 23.14. Copper down three cents, 3.75. Uh, we've got Bitcoin down 39 bucks, almost flat, 30,214. And the U.S. dollar, we've got it down a little bit today. Uh, I'm sorry, up a little bit today. The euro uh, is down to 109.5, and the British pound down to 127.6, but really kind of in that same range they've been for quite some time. Mm. Uh, Matt, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.36 a.m. on July 10th, 2023. Uh, the weather in Chicago, currently 71 degrees, a high of 88 degrees today. Sunny skies throughout the day. Tomorrow, expecting some cloudy skies and a high of 74. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 89 degrees currently, a high of 107 degrees later on. Wow. Uh, the National Weather Service in Phoenix has declared an excessive heat warning to stay in effect until this Sunday, July 16th. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs beat Yankees 7-4. White Sox lost to Cardinals 3-4. And Diamondbacks lost their game against Pirates 2-4. Yesterday in the Men's National Soccer Tournament, U.S. wins against Canada due to a penalty shootout, making the U.S. the decided winner, putting them 3-2 this season. 
So for now, Chief, back to you. Do we have Audrey and Jen? We do indeed. All right, how are you? Hi, good morning. How are you? We're doing good. Good morning. Everything's going good at this end. Well, what is it? All, all the soldiers are flying. Everything's working. That's <laughs> <laughs> always a plus. Yeah, it's always a plus. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. What uh, these um, two things here, Rod? What uh, your 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 buddy Jamie Diamond is talking about? Banking landscape is on the on the cusp of a seismic shift, and all these mid-level banks are going to get taken over in the next ten years, and the big banks will be the big winners. I'm not so sure that's. Do any of those people they 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 do mortgages now, don't they? But they just all, and it, but they mostly it's mortgage companies. But banks still do them, and then they just sell them out just like if they're a regular mortgage company, right? Well, it, it you know all banks do well, pretty much all banks are doing mortgages. That's their livelihood. It's just that a lot more people have you know divert gone and used people like um, like Nancy uh, Long Graham that's on uh, mortgage brokers, but they're just. You know, it's their bread and butter. So yeah, they're going to be. Uh, but they do. They, but they do the same thing with it that Nancy's group does. They sell. They don't really hang out on them like they used to. They're no, like everybody just off pretty much offs yeah. everything they get. What it's uh, like the hot potato did? Is this uh, Nancy said something last week, and you know we had a chance to talk to her because we saw. I think she said, Jan, what ninety-two percent of mortgages are under four percent, or right, or in that area because everybody refinanced. Yeah, I, uh, I think she said that. Well, if you didn't refinance, you were an absolute fool. I mean, well, if you're still sitting on a, 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 you know, if you went through the whole period of time when you actually could still get something even in the high threes, and you were sitting on a, a five, six, seven, eight percent mortgage, you didn't refinance. You know what was wrong with you? Well, when they first so, started to you know, go that up, that would actually be a, 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 you know, unless you there was something financially wrong that wouldn't allow you to refinance. I don't know a single person who did that take advantage of getting rid of more debt and refinancing at a, a low level. Well, yeah, but now... And I think, uh, actually, one, uh, one of our uh, mutual friends refinanced uh, in the high twos at one point. The When this when this first started, the uh, is going up, uh, Nancy said there was a demand for the variable mortgages. Those people can't be too happy because they've just gone straight up. They haven't, they haven't gone down at all, have they? No, and the thing is, it's it's a, as most people know, it, it's a calculated risk. You look at it, and you say, okay, it's going to be stable. It's not going to be stable. I only want it maybe for a short term. Some people uh, are only on a limited time horizon. Say somebody got transferred here, or they're going to stay here for two to five years. It might make sense for them to have a lower variable and hope that that works for them. I mean, and if you did that. Uh, you know, even a, as little as a year ago, it wasn't so bad. It's just now you're not really looking at that. But either somebody who's going to be able to pay off their mortgage in a few years, and they are getting a much, you know, a two or three percent, well, let's say two percent lower, maybe, then it's worth to do that. But the majority of loans are uh, are a thirty year. Well, I do still have, uh, maintained a pretty good level of business uh, because there's still some. How can I say this? You're kind of dealing with the other the other ten percent that is selling a house. They're downsizing. They're older. They're younger. They even had a starter house, and they're everybody's kind of trading up. And there's there's a lot of cash in all the transactions. Is that? I mean, you've got people that have want to want to move, maybe moved out of the out of the state and want to move back and have a place somewhere else they bought, and it's, they're making some money on that place. There's that kind of trading going on for people who have equity in their places and 
the rates have not affected them all that much yet the the number a 92 percent number uh when when does there's always gonna be some of that business but uh somewhere along the line in order for everybody to do well other people have to feel comfortable moving when do you think that's going to happen well it happened it will happen the same way it always happens when there's a, a rate a rate swing and i've lived through enough of these know it it becomes uh like any other good or bad thing that happens in your life you become acclimated to it you know as you guys were talking about earlier you got used to paying you know four dollars for a dozen eggs and uh so you are you might not like it but you are it's the same thing if the fact of the matter is the rates are six and a half if you want a house you're gonna have to pay six and a half so it's you might not like it but necessity circumstances desire to, to have a house then it, if, if you want one then you're just gonna have to pay up and that's unfortunately how it is now what I had told everybody especially all my young kids who were, were buying a house for the first time when interest rates were in the threes and fours I said I don't if you, I don't care what you buy I don't care if it's not your dream home buy something because this is basically free money and you might not see it again in your house buying lifetime it may not happen again the historical norm is eight percent if you look back in time that's where it tends to hover uh, so whether it's a one extreme higher or lower nobody likes the high except of course the banks uh, but it's just it just is what it is so now you you are getting the first it was a, a big drop off the first 30 or 60 days when the first big rate heights came and then people get psychologically adjusted to the hurt if you want to look at it that way and then they'll come back uh, but it takes time because obviously you're spending more money. But if you want a house, then the fact you have to deal with the facts in front of you now. There are no three percent. There will no be over three percent, you know, in the foreseeable future. So if you want a house and you're not paying cash, uh, then you're just going to have to get a mortgage. Why? Um, why do you suppose? And this is a question for for both of you. If you were to look at a you know, second-year economics student, and he would say, "Whatever it is you're pricing, be it a, a car, a house, business, it doesn't matter. If if you can get financing at four percent, whether it's for your business, your car, or whatever, you can pay X for the car, the business, or the house. And if the price, the price interest rate doubles, you should see, maybe not instantly, you should see a corresponding drop." in the price of whatever it is you're buying. Yet it doesn't seem... Now, some areas, you read anecdotally, uh, that has happened dramatically in San Francisco and other places where prices have come flying down, uh, doesn't seem to have happened here yet. Now, does that mean it? it's one of those things where it happens over a period of time and then suddenly, or what? I'm really kind of stunned, Odd and John, that these housing prices have hung in here given the fact that the mortgage rates have doubled. Now, does that just mean I'm too early on this trade and it's going to happen the minute anything bad happens, or it's never going to happen? I'd, I'd be stunned if it never happens. I mean, I... Well, you know, it didn't happen, and maybe you can refresh my memory on this too, Audrey. In the 80s, when interest rates were, you know, 12, 14, 16% for an institutional mortgage, the price prices of houses on the market did not collapse. 
people made it up with you know you know second mortgages or cobbled together other kind of financing to, to do the deal and i don't remember housing prices or, or values plunging although you, you would think if they were so t tightly tied to rising interest rates this would have forced people to lower their prices but but it didn't happen then and i it may happen here but there I, I just don't see a kind of historical precedent that it has to happen there, there may be other ways around this it's it's hard to say so I, I'm, I'm not sure how you recall those days or what you what you think is happening now but i'd like your input <laughs> no i completely agree with you uh and that's that's I, I think is what we're seeing now you you may see a little but what will happen i think is that you would the buyers are just adjusting their expectations so it's like anything else if you can't buy a maserati well maybe you could go buy a chevy so it's you know it's kind of the same thing what, what interest rates are going to obviously cut some people out of the market now what i have seen which i think is very interesting just in the last i actually thought that in june would be the basic price top of the market uh what i was thinking i would just have uh, news out of our local board that the median sales price hit a one-year high last week right around the fourth of july okay but what I've seen is all of a sudden there was an incredible shortage of inventory, which of course contributes to the price hike. And there still is, there's just not enough homes for people to buy. But I have seen a lot of higher priced homes come on the market just within the last week, all in uh, my general area. Uh, when I'm talking things that are maybe from uh, six to nine, six to $900,000 which most people would consider a higher priced home. And I've seen a glut of those come on. All of a sudden, now it might be a weak aberration, but I think you're also seeing, uh, I'm seeing listings step up more, and I think it's because for two reasons, people are just like, oh, I do want to move, but they're also listening to what the Fed may or may not do, and if they think more price hikes are coming and they do want to move, then they're thinking this might be the best opportunity. I'm still going to get a high price for my house. I don't want to participate in another quarter, half, three quarters price hike. And it might be best just to jump now while I know what actually what I could get. So I think that, you know, to your point, I don't see, I don't see a meltdown at any point because simply put, rentals are off the charts and it's still at this point around here at least cheaper to buy a house than it is to, to rent one. There's Same here, yeah. Yeah, there's hardly any places to rent. They're all, it's, especially if you want a, a single family home, a town home, it's very, very limited. So the people who could buy are still buying. But I agree with you. I don't see any, there's there's not, it's not the underpinnings of like you know, the collapse or even in our last recession where the market went to hell at the same time the real estate market did. That was different. Uh, this is just something where we still have a, a squeeze and we have the next generations coming into the housing market. Uh, they've become a big segment of the market. They're uh, finally, you know, coming out of people's ba other parents' basements and getting houses and getting their, getting their lives in order. They're creating households. So the household formation is up. So, you know, you now you even have more people who've expressed an interest in getting into homes. Well, that's what I, yeah. when I, when I lab these economic uh, truisms out there, and it's obvious they're not working. I mean, clearly, if you were to give any anybody in an economics class 
okay, uh, the, the interest rate has doubled, they're going to say the price comes down by half, right? It? Or something like that. And all other things being equal. But the thing that you guys know that I don't, what are all the other things that clearly aren't equal? I mean, what you've, what you've kind of listed, Odd, is uh, uh, there's, there never, there's a shortage of housing, especially in areas where people want to be. There hasn't been really any construction during COVID. Uh, there's in some areas of the city, we've lost housing, probably lost housing more than we've lost people. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a bigger push in demand that is somehow, and a, and a bigger restriction on supply that is fighting against this obvious economic identity that the prices should come down with the interest rates going up. Now the question, I guess, is, is that going to continue for the next 10 years or all of a sudden one day all that's going to sort of fall apart, there's going to be some new houses. I mean, you, you pointed out to me yesterday because we were driving around houses in some areas, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars for these townhomes, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I just went through it earlier, Jan, we just went through it. Median income's not going up. Someplace, somewhere, there's a collision here. It, 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 there has to be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where that is, but or where am I wrong? Well, Go ahead, John. Another trend too that you know it may ultimately affect the residential market, but you know that the needs of a, of a home buyer for for the kind of property that will satisfy those needs that doesn't really change very much. A family needs you know a, a, a building with a roof and a couple bedrooms and baths and parking or whatever. And you know that will satisfy what it takes to you know hold a family together, you know, and raise them as, as a single unit. But in the commercial market, none none of those things seem to be holding, you know, true for the you know, the near future, where where you've got you know retailers that can't afford big anchor stores and don't want them, and you've got you know shopping centers that were built solely with that idea in mind that can't get tenants anymore. And then you've got office space, which just had convulsions like we've never seen before, where there's a, a substitute now where people can work at home, or they don't need all this space, or you know, technology has you know, enabled them to work from anywhere, and not just a single block of rental space. I think the, the commercial market is, is poised for a huge fall, and that may tighten up credit to, to an extent that you know, it's going to dry up residential lending in the mortgage market before we're through. Um, but I, I do see that right now things seem to be kind of chugging along in a way that they always have for house buying. But I think it's a very different story. Well, John, do you, do you think there's a chance? Yeah. There's a chance. There's always a chance that Odd could could totally be right that people have just adjusted. I need a place to live, and by the way, it's going to cost me twelve hundred hours more a month than it did three years ago for the same place. Not to mention the insurance and the other crap that's going up, Odd, which we don't we haven't we never mentioned. Um, but then you and I. I've been known to go out and uh, have a bite to eat on a Saturday night. Every place we go seems like it's less full than the last time we were there. Is 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 the squeeze out going to be okay, Susie? We're living in this house. That's what you want. That's what I want. But guess what? Our days of going out to dinner are over. I mean, it, now it where it affects other people. I mean, the, the money somewhere between the raises being up two percent and the housing price doubling, someplace somewhere somebody's going to get hosed. The question is who. And if it's not going to be housing price, it's going to be somewhere, right? Well, I think I think everybody is, you know, unless you are like so uh, wealthy that it's you know you don't have to pay attention to that stuff. I think everybody has noticed 
It's inflation. I don't. I believe we're in a recession. I don't care what uh, the people say. I know people who are struggling to, you know, make their house payment, get it together. So yeah, it costs a lot more to live. So, uh, to your point, people are still going to have to have a place to live and to acknowledge the say difference in purchase price and the doubling of rates. They're going to just revise their expectations. So maybe they're not buying the four bedroom house, they'll settle for a three bedroom, you know, one, one bath instead of a four bedroom, two and a half bath. So it's, what it's probably gonna do is transfer, this is what happened before, it transfers the squeeze to a lower price. So there's gonna be more people fighting for maybe a little lower priced house. So that's that's gonna be there, but I totally agree with John. I mean, this, this com commercial, what are we going to do with all these vacant office buildings? And to your point, not only are people working at home, but I think between uh, you know, the technology of replacing even your fast food worker and AI going to be such a big player in the future, you're just going to need less human beings around. So yep. what are we going to do? I mean, is how do you ever, what are, what are we going to do? Demolish a Sears Tower type of building? Or, excuse me, Willis Tower? I need to show my age. Well, you know, it's, or it, what are we going to do with a, a downtown? Is it'll become a wasteland? What well, do you do with it? Funny you should mention that, though. I did my, those don't have a building I, I hang in. Uh, there's a garden apartment. I've had two requests in the last week of people that had sort of were going to be working for home like forever. Now all of a sudden they're looking for a place where. The working from home part is is going over not so well, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna be here at least two weeks a month back at their regular job and want some place they can just crash while they're here. So it's yeah, I think uh, I think that is coming back because, you know, I think that you can't be at home all the time in a company where you need to interact. I mean, Zoom and all those things are just great, but I think in the long haul, you know, Elon Musk is correct. You have to have people together to really form a cohesive functioning brand. You can't always live in uh, space. So I think if you're right, I think it's going to be maybe shared office spaces, double time. Uh, but I think that obviously you just don't need as much space. So I agree with Jan. I think this commercial market is uh, is really heading for some problems because even as far as shopping, shopping's not what it used to be. You guys were talking earlier about having to go out and buy clothes for work. I mean, Nobody lives the way they did. The world has become so much less formal. I would say some people what do you, look what like do you slobs, but that's me. What are you, so, lady, what are you ladies going to do for female bonding if there's no shopping? I can't tell you the last time. Uh, you know me, I do love to shop. I can't tell you the last time my my friends and I have said, "Wow, let's go shopping and go to lunch." We just don't. We just don't need the same type of things. And I have to tell you, the quality of things that you find in the average store. Are not worth purchasing, you know. You, right. So that's also a thing. Is why am I going to buy something that's doesn't fits poorly, um, falls apart in three months? So you're either have to spend money for higher quality items, or you're just not buying stuff. And retailers, I think, have not figured that quite out. That you know, you're not going to sell things to people that are basically crap. Well, actually, I worked. I walked into that. Uh, these guys that advertise all the time is. This hassleless mattress place, just just for mm -hmm. laughs. There's one right by me, where, they, where they, the whole thing is they have no employees, right? So you you walk in and I don't I don't know anything about mattresses. It's <laughs> you buy one one once every decade, 
and I see a couple of them there. They look kind of the same, and one's 400 bucks more. I look around, hey, where's the dude or the dudette that can tell me what's the difference between these two? There isn't anybody. I walked out. I, I, I don't know anything about them. How do you, <laughs> somewhere along the line, I guess if you really knew your stuff, you wouldn't want to deal with the middleman. But after all, when they say cut out the middleman, we are the middleman. We don't want to be cut out, do we? Well, I have even a better one for you. There's a, a CVS in my neighborhood that doesn't have anybody in there to wait on you. You're supposed to go in and check yourself out. You may there's a pharmacist, but there is nobody to basically help you. You're supposed to go get your stuff and check yourself out and get out. Well, I don't go there because I want to maybe see a person, have a, again, have a question from somebody. And I know a lot of people just don't go there because there is nobody waiting on you. Uh, I'll go over to... Uh, what are the other choices in the neighborhood that has the same thing with real people? Well, every time I go to the, John, me being such a nuthead that I am, I go to like the Home Depot or someplace, and I have the, the lady, which I do a lot, the lady checks me out, and I go, by the way, do I get a discount if I do this myself? Well, no, sir. And I go, well, then why would I want to do it myself, and why would I want to put you out of a job? She goes, now, that's a good question. I don't know why you would either. <laughs> <laughs> I've said that to people too. I think I think if you want me to scan things and bag things myself, I think I should we should get a ten percent discount for checking ourselves out. Well, you know the weird part is we, we got to test here in a second, but sometimes you got to wonder. I mean, we all wish we were the three of us wish we were twenty five again. Maybe not twenty five. Maybe like 30. no, I don't. Once was enough. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Once let's was enough. Get, let's not get crazy over yeah, here. Let's not get crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. But, but Home Depot, when they went out with the whole, everybody checks themselves out, it had to do with, uh, at first they said, uh, well, we can't believe the shrinkage. Well, people just, I think, forgot to scan everything. I don't, I'm not going to say everybody's stealing. And then, but then now uh, last week they come out and there was some other story about how, uh, was it, was it, uh, not Costco, it was somebody else. The, the more, the more they have people do it themselves, the more the, the shrinkage is or something doesn't work right. And, and you're sitting there going, well, duh. What, what I mean, it, it's I don't know. I don't I don't see how you. Once in a while, I use it, but I, I have a thing against it. I'm just am I, am I that much of a luddite? I must be. Well, you know, you're just gonna have to get used to like when you go to McDonald's and you talk to the computer and they make your stuff. You know, exactly a little. I have zero little interest people in the windows anymore. I have zero interest in that. Um, by the way, there was a thing last night on uh, speaking of which, on uh, there's an article here on uh, CNBC regarding uh, the. Get a little the etiquette people. Now, how do you get to be an etiquette person? It's like being an expectator or an alligator, right? Uh, an etiquette people. The five times that you don't, you're not you not you don't. It's okay not to tip. Mm. And uh oh. Well, there there one of the things was you shouldn't have to tip counter people because the reason why you you, you tip waitresses and so forth and and bartenders because they're paid a wage. That is implied they're getting tipped, where the counter people are not. They're making a regular wage, mm. you know. So they're not like the guy in the McDonald's might be making sixteen bucks an hour, because, but if, but if he was a a server, what can they make like nine or something? Because he's going to get tipped. Well, they're doing that now too. I mean, you order McDonald's at the kiosk, you take your little number and sit it down at your table, and some poor schlub has to drag your food over there. <laughs> oh, really? I, 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 yeah. I, have but a it's just... I, I guess you know you can put a tip on there too if if you wish. And I guess maybe somebody should make make it if they're carrying your food and you're not carrying their food, and you can seat yourself without worrying if you left French fries behind. I guess you know it's worth something to 
pay that person a tip, but you know, I that changes that the price of the meal. Starbucks, when the barista had, you know, major double trippy latte with a shot of espresso, whatever. And I think that kind of started the thing, but they were at least actually doing something for you. But no, to me, like you know, if you're working at a fast food place, you're getting you're, you're getting paid. And if you're if you're a waiter or waitress, that's a whole different thing. Yep. They deserve every tip they get because that's a hard job. Mm-hmm. I well, did it well, when I, I was young, and I failed miserably at it. Well, so just, I give just, more credit to the world. Just because you dumped a tray on somebody doesn't mean it's that hard of a job. It was very hard. I hated it. <laughs> so, so you, I was a good, I was a good bartender, but I was a lousy waitress. <laughs> so, so you you went from the lousy waitress to being on the trading floor to being in uh, real estate, right? Uh, and and uh, I used to design halftime shows for marching bands too. That was always a fun thing. Hmm. I don't know why you ever stopped that. Actually, that sounds like it would be fun. Yeah, bring it back. Well, you're you're a great real estate broker, Audrey. So thank you, honey. I appreciate. Well, you know, that. as a as a shameless plug. Uh, of course, Audrey drags me yesterday to a, a walkthrough, and these people had bought this house, and they did their walkthrough. Well, they were happy as a clam. It must be awful nice to have a client that a client group that is so happy with what I'm on, what I say you did for them. They bought it for them, but you found them a place uh, and fought for them and, and got, them the right, got them a decent price. Uh, they were happy as can be. I'm sitting there going, God, how many people have a job where the people you do, you do stuff for are that happy? Once in a while, the world is nice. You know that is a big, a big part, and I think any uh, broke, uh, real estate broker that has that job, the feeling—I call it psychic income—when you see you make people happy or you solve one of their problems with real estate, it, it really uh, does make you feel good. Hmm. Anyway, give us a shameless plug. How do we find you? Uh, you can give me a call at 708-846-6494 or call or text me or shoot me an email at Audrey Johnson at Realtor.com. You can always find John Flanagan once every, what, six months we have a bear? <laughs> <laughs> we have several to make it last. <laughs> anyway, John, maybe I'll that. see you this week. Uh, SP Futures down 75 cents. NASDAQ Futures down 7. Does not look to be a, a scintillating day, but that can change. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.